is Alicia Christian, and welcome to the Eating Me Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Alicia, and welcome to the Eating Me Podcast. I am so, so excited to have with us today Emerson Valentina. She is a psychotherapist and a mental health practitioner. Uh, she is the graduate, she's also um, a graduate of the American Musical and Dramatic Academy, and she lives in New York City. It's funny because I also went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And before we um, met, she reached out to me through um, a thread that we all share that are alumni of the Academy. So it was so cool to actually meet an alum that um, is a lot younger than me. So, <laughs> but at the same time, it's really cool because... We do have that connection. Um, we'll continue on. She works in spiritual healing and transformation, um, communities of artists and creatives and organizations that foster activism in psychology and well-being. She is the founder and director of the Broadway Mental Health Foundation, a nonprofit fighting to change the theatrical industry and create a system that is safe healthy and empowering for all, as well as the owner of Psyche LLC, an alternative and holistic healing company that fuses art and soul for creators of today and tomorrow. Emerson has spent a decade working professionally within the performing arts and has enjoyed regional and national recognition as a musical theater artist and dancer. Her personal journey of pain, healing, and inner transformation inspires the art she shares with the world, her own metamorphosis being the greatest gift of her life. You can learn more about Emerson uh, by visiting the psyche.us and connect on social media at Emerson Valentina. So without further ado, you guys, please welcome Emerson Valentina. Hi, Emerson. How are you? Hello there. I'm great. How are you? I am doing well. Um, I have to be completely candid, everybody. We had a little flub in the beginning. <laughs> We're starting it all over. So I was telling Emerson, I think this evening I um, I probably should have had a little bit of coffee or something. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sleepy, but you know, it is what it is, right? <laughs> oh my God. It's a, what is it, a Monday night? It's a Monday Please. night. Like, this is insane. <laughs> and meanwhile, I, cause I, you know, I'm still working and stuff to make a little bit of money here and there. And I've been working 12 hour shifts. So I'm a little sleepy, but we're going to make this so much fun. So I'm super excited. So I did go through your bio, Emerson, but could you please share um, just a little bit more about yourself with everyone? And then just also how you got um, started in the, um, in acting and in theater in general, and then also how that then transitions you into the mental health profession. Mm -hmm. um, well, I grew up in a performing arts musical family. Uh, ever since I was three, four years old, I started dancing. And uh, from there, I started singing and acting when I was six, did my first musical in elementary school. Um, and ever since I was three years old, uh, I told my parents, I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm going to live in New York. I'm going to be a star. And, you know, of course they all laugh. And then, you know, they, they saw that I was really into it and they encouraged it. And um, I've been working professionally for over a decade now. I started wow. working professionally as a dancer when I was 14. 
I started doing uh, regional equity shows in equity theaters when I was a teenager and all through high school. And after my senior year of high school, I went to a uh, performing arts uh, conservatory. And when I was 18, I moved to New York City. And I attended the American Musical and Dramatic Academy, and I graduated in May of 2019, uh, mm -hmm. smack dab uh, right before the pandemic. So wow. impeccable timing. Right. Um, yeah. And that's that's really been the trajectory of my life so far. Um, performing arts, performing arts, musical arts, very, very driven to achieve that goal of being someone in the performing arts. And, you know, I, of course, I've been that way since I was little. But when I was in high school as well, I was really, really into psychology. Mm. And I, I loved studying it. It, it. it felt so right and so natural to me. But of course, you know, back then, it didn't seem feasible. It didn't really seem like it was on my track of what I wanted to do or accomplish in my life. And so I always just kind of viewed it as a hobby, even though I would pour over books in my free time and I would study the DSM-5. <laughs> Super depressing, but, you know, <laughs> I would do that. Um, and I just really had a love for it. And I even took some psychology courses in college, fell in love with it. Um, but it wasn't until in the middle of the pandemic that I, I took a step back. You know, I had to because theater was non-existent. So right. I was uh, I was peering into my other choices. Um, but I took a step back and I said, no, 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 you you can do both. And, and better yet, you can combine the two. Right. And I, I, I really think that that way of thinking or um, sort of fusing the two together is the very thing that is lacking in the industry. Uh, and I think there's a need for it. And there are several people who want to highlight the connection between Broadway or the performing arts and mental health or uh, the psychological aspect of artists or creatives. Um, and that's what I wanna do. That's that's really what what my heart's desire is. That is awesome. And I remember when we were talking the last time, you also were uh, mentioning that you know one of your um, hopes, you know, within this work that you're doing is to also address the eating concerns that are within the um, entertainment uh, world as well. So. If you don't mind just sharing just a little bit of information about that and how it has hit you um, on a personal level as well. Of course. Yeah. Um, well, throughout my life, I have battled with an eating disorder. It started when I was eight years old. Um, started with me throwing away my lunches at school and not telling anyone. Started with me getting my hands on us weekly and okay magazine and all the tabloids and reading you know what keeps you thin what the pretty girls are wearing um you how you need to look a certain way in order to either get ahead or be noticed or be loved 
Um, and that, that started in elementary school and it gave me a pretty solid foundation in that uh, way of thinking. And it morphed into me being a teenager and in high school and concocting every weight loss drink you could think of, every recipe, uh, weight loss apps. As soon as I you know, was allowed to have an iPhone, uh, downloaded the uh, weight tracker apps and oh. calorie counters, was obsessive about that, um, would take several rinky-dink uh, little, little, little ways to um, lose weight or throw up or get rid of the food. And um, that really did spiral out of control when I was a teenager. But of course, no one knew about it. Right. Uh, I'm a very high-functioning individual. Mm -hmm. And part of the problem with eating disorders in women or performers is that we don't want you to know it, it needs to look effortless you right. know um we just look this way we were just born like this <laughs> um so 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 part of the thing is when people say oh i had no idea i didn't know well thank you i tried really really hard mm. <laughs> <laughs> right wow yes i did a great job um but it, it did get pretty bad in high school. Uh, but it, it really spiraled out of control when I was 18, 19 years old and I moved to New York and I was enrolled in the uh, performing arts conservatory uh, that I went to college at. And when I was attending that school, the culture and um, the environment that faculty and staff and teachers were promoting was the idea that if you were thin enough, you would book. Mm. So, so thinness or the appearance of your body equates to the success you will have in your career or the amount of jobs you will receive or uh, the amount of accolades you'll receive. Um, so it was very much one plus one equals two. And right. this is how it is. This is how it's always been. And you either play the game or you pack up and you don't, you go home and you're not a star. Right. So, um, you know, me, me growing up with that drive and that ambition and that determination, um, you know, that, this has been my life's work since I was, you know, three, three years old. I mean, this, is, this has been my dream and I wasn't going to let it get away from me. I was going to do whatever I could to, to achieve that. And I, I saw that to achieve that, I must be very, very thin or I must be very, very beautiful or very, very small. Right. Um, so I did develop, um, a very, very severe case of anorexia at that point in my life. I was 18 and 19 um, when it spiraled to a head, but I had been suffering with that years before. And halfway through my time at the conservatory, I nearly was hospitalized. Um, I was 87 pounds. 
I was going for three weeks at a time without eating a single thing. And I went home during Christmas break. And when I got off the airplane and was walking to meet my parents, uh, waiting for me a baggage claim, they couldn't even look at me. Mm. It was, I, I could tell it was very, very hard to look at me. I, mm. It was hard for me to look at me. I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to be sick. I didn't want to be sick. Right. I, just, I just wanted to achieve my dream. Wow. And, you know, you don't, you don't, when you're in that, you know, when you, when you have that illness and when you have that way of thinking, when you have that disordered eating pattern, you don't, you don't put two and two together. You don't, you, you, your desire is not to make people worried about you or make people look at your body. I hated when people looked at my body. I wish people didn't. I, I you know, I, I hated the attention. I, I still, you know, I just really don't don't like the attention or like body talk and things like that but just to have people gawk and you know say you are very very sick and unwell and you need help and things like that i i did not resonate with that i said not me i'm just i'm just i'm really working hard i'm working hard i'm gonna achieve my dream i'm gonna be on broadway i'm gonna be a star and all this hard work is going to be worth it someday. Right. Um, and, you know, it's so funny because even thinking, and the last time we were talking about this, I, rem- I remember us talking about something to this effect about how it's, you're trying to obtain a dream and it's like at a cost that you don't even realize is really compromising your overall health, whether it be, you know, physical or, you know, mental. So it's so, it's so um, eye-opening in the way of like, realizing that so many just women in general, let alone performers are struggling with this same issue. Because even when I was in school, I remember uh, a few of the dancers that were at the school that, you know, they um, would share different uh, ways of maintaining their weight. That was, you know, not, not the best way to maintain it. And it was, it was just, for me, it just didn't resonate because I was on the other spectrum. Like I was like, where's the food? Uh, (laughs) When are we going to eat? You know? And then on the same token of that, being in that school, I was, so we're all, as you know, and and for those who don't know, in entertainment, musical theater, you know, acting and all this, there, sometimes they consider what are called types. And so for a certain type, you fit a certain description. Yes. So for my type, I was the sassy, you know, fat black, you know, no nonsense girl, right? Yeah. Or woman. And so it worked out for me in the way of my eating disorder. Cause I was like, well, bring on, you know, the little Debbie cakes, like whatever, but not realizing I'm detrimental, you know, I'm on the other spectrum of causing, you know, health problems on, you know, with me as well, whether that be diabetes, high blood pressure, um, you know, things of that nature. Um, so it's so interesting how both situations on that spectrum, how you can still, you know, compromise your health in, in a certain way, and not and and not realize your dream is 
what you think your dream is, is actually causing more harm than good by way of how you've kind of put yourself in that position. If that, if that makes sense. No. Yeah. 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 Um, I tried, <laughs> uh, before college and in college, you know, I, you can, you can ask me any potion, any formula. I have tried everything under the sun to right. lose it. Um, and in college specifically, um, Again, I wasn't eating for three weeks at a time. Uh, or if I did eat something uh, in between those three weeks, it was a single clementine. Mm. Uh, I was downing three to four packets of hydroxycut mix per day, uh, oh. weight loss pills, laxatives, diuretics, anything you can think of. Um, and each week as I was you know, losing more and more weight, uh, teachers would just come up to me in the middle of class, you know, me in dance class and my leotard or me performing a song in this sequined outfit. And they would pull me aside and they would say, Hey, your body is fierce. You know, you are really something you are going to book. You're going to, mm -hmm. you're going to make it, you're going to make it. And they would even pull me to the front of the class and say, everyone, look at Emerson, look at her dedication and her ambition wow. and her drive. You know, she is the type of person who is going to be someone, is going to make it. And we all need to learn from her dedication. Wow. And me, um, as the person that they're all supposed to revere and, you know, me standing in front <laughs> of the class, you know, I was my stomach was literally eating itself. Mm. You know, I, I remember, you know, one of those days where that happened, where I was pulled up and, you know, admired. Uh, I went home that night and I, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep back then because my stomach literally was eating itself. And I, you know, was so hungry. I could not fall asleep. Wow. And did like when those moments would happen, when the teachers would, you know, either pull you to the side or, you know, bring you in front of the class. How did, I guess on, so, you know, you have those feelings. It's like at one point it's like, oh, this is nice. But at the same time, it's like, this isn't like, how, how are you feeling in those moments? Like, did that then justify what you were doing in terms of, you know, refraining from eating? Yeah, I felt, and to this day, I have a lot of guilt around it. I felt very complicit mm. uh, because I knew it was so wrong. I right. felt, I felt so uncomfortable. I felt like this doesn't need to be happening. Why are we talking about bodies? Why, are, why aren't we talking about uh, the way you sang a song or the way you did a dance step? Or, you know, why aren't we talking about that? Why are we talking about a physical outer appearance? Right. Uh, that's, that felt so shallow. Um, so I felt really, really bad about that. I felt like that was wrong, but these people who were bringing me up, you know, they had been on Broadway, right? They were Broadway veterans. They were people in this industry that could get me places, right? You know, they had some sway. And so in those moments, I did not say one word and I just stood there and I let them say their piece and I let everyone look at me. And I went back to the front row where I was placed and started dancing or singing. 
and, ha- and having all the eyes still on me, still right. looking at me, and then feeling that, you know, accumulating pressure, you know, to perform, to be that girl. I mean, at that school, I was, I was the it girl. I right. was the girl that was going on auditions and booking or getting callbacks for, you know, Broadway shows. Um, and it was, it was a lot of pressure to look like that girl, sound like that girl, dance like that girl, you know. Wow. It, and it's, it, I just, I can't even imagine being like in a spotlight like that, knowing how you feel on the insides of the, I mean, I, thank goodness that's not like where you are now, but I can't even imagine, especially being that young, right? Like, because you're so impressionable at that point. And like you said, these people are, you know, people you look up to, you know, they know the business because they, they've actually been on Broadway and they, they know what it looks like on the outside beyond, you know, you going to the conservatory. So that, that's a lot of pressure for someone so young. Um, How did this, eventually like manifest in a way of you potentially seeking help or did someone reach out to you and say, Hey, Emerson, I hear that you are doing all these great things, but let's address what's really going on with you. Did that ever happen while you were at the school? Um, not by anyone employed by the school. Um, it was my mother, uh, when I came back from Christmas break, uh, a month or so passed and, she begged me to go see someone or to go Mm. talk to someone. It was, it got to the point where she begged me um, and she said, just please, for me, just go see someone one time, one time and just, just talk to them. Just, just talk to them about your feelings or, you know, uh, not, she wasn't alluding to any sort of thing about my body, but she just, you know, was just go talk to someone, you know, if you're feeling stressed out, go talk to someone, just, you know, get, get something off your chest for me, please. And of course I knew what she was alluding to. Um, I, I, I knew, I, I know everyone was looking my, I, my body. I know, I know, I know I had a problem, you know, I, I'm not naive. Like, you know, people, maybe think I am. Um, but I was pretty stubborn about it. Uh, internally, I -hmm. thought I'm fine. I'm the best I've ever been. I am successful. Why would I need to talk to I, you know, I am on my path. I am so close, so close to success. You know, people are noticing me like I, you know, I could be something big soon. Um, but I, I did. I scheduled a 15 minute session with my counselor at the school. Um, it was a little check in thing that they offered. And I walked in begrudgingly and she said, you know, how are things, Emerson? How are things going? And I basically said, oh, everything's great. I am so happy. I'm getting all of these roles. I'm getting all of this attention and I'm not eating and I'm 87 pounds and I feel really, really bad about myself and I just want to be a star so bad, but I feel like I'm going to be nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And she said, she was, she was quiet for for a little while. And um, she said, you know, Emerson, looking at you, um, this is pretty bad. This is pretty bad. 
Um, so I'm going to ask you one question. And she said, what do you want out of life? Mm. And I did not hesitate. I looked her straight in the eyes and I said, I want to be a star. And then the next question she asked was, how long do you want to live? Mm. And she followed it with, how long do you want to dance? And she said, by, by the looks of it and um, the way this is going, uh, you, don't, you don't have much longer to, you know, either perform or have the abilities to perform or you don't have much longer um, in terms of health or um, good, good health for right. the remainder of your life if you keep choosing this. And um, I was so hurt by that. I was really, really hurt that in that moment, uh, and I remember this as clear as day, I got up, slid my chair all the way back, looked at her straight in the face, and I screamed. I said, how dare you take away my career? Wow. I was so angry. I was really angry. And I glared at her and stomped out of the room and ran out. And I did not see her again. Uh, but I did get a notice from the school that said I was going to be put on medical leave until I uh, sort of uh, accomplished all of the sessions that I was now required to go to at the okay. Renfrew Center uh, in New York City, which is the one of the leading centers for eating disorders and anorexia. And they said, you will be put on leave from the school if you do not go to these sessions um, in their hospital, in their facility. Um, and of course, you know, if you do not comply, you know, we're going to have to send you to a center in Philadelphia. So they were, the school was fully prepared to send me away out of state to a, you know, months long um, retreat. Uh, so I was given an ultimatum. And um, I went, I went to the Renfrew Center every morning at six, uh, at 6 a.m. before my 8 a.m. jazz classes, mm. um, was really angry about it, would just go into the office uh, in such a, in such anger. And, you know, they would ask me, Emerson, how are you doing? You know, let's, let's talk about your anorexia. And mm. uh, I was like, you know, I was like, I don't have it. I don't, you know, this, everyone, everyone thinks that I have this problem, but I don't, you know, I right. am just fine. You know, right. it felt like everyone was trying to fix me and things right. like that. Um, I was so against it. Uh, but flash forward a little bit. Uh, after I, you know, completed all of my required visits to the Renfrew Center, um, I said, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this by myself. You know, I can, I can do it. I just need to fix it a little bit so people aren't worried about me so much. You know, right. I, I just need to 
give them a little bit, but you know, still, still be really toxic and really unhealthy uh, to myself. Right. Um, so for the past, what is it five years? It has been an ongoing cycle of me fixing it, relapsing, fixing mm. it, relapsing. Um, and, you know, when it came down to um, the, all the, all of the silence of the pandemic, because um, I, I do refer to it as a silence. Um, right. Not just in, you know, the pause of the theatrical industry, but um, really a silence internally for a lot of people. In my silence, you know, I remembered all of the terrible, terrible things that happened within that school, not just to me, but my classmates. I watched right. classmates go on medical leave. I watched classmates be told to lose 10 pounds or be told that mental health is not real by mm. several instructors. You know, I, I, I remember a lot and I remember the things that were done to a lot of people. And when I thought about that and then thought about my own, you know, really painful, traumatic experience, I was like, there, there needs to be something done about this. And not just in a way that, you know, we put out a statement on social media and then we all kind of forget about it in a couple right. of years. But we need systemic change. Right. You know, we, we, we really need that. And I did not, and I still do not really see anyone who is speaking up and saying, hey, Broadway was built on the idea that we need to kind of hammer into all of these artists and dancers that you need to look a certain way to get a show or you right. need to look a certain way to be a certain character. You know, right. that's that's not just a current modern thing. That's what the industry was built on. That's the foundation. Right. And so it's the only way to move past that. We can't just brush it. We can't just sweep it under the rug. We have got to go back to the to the fundamental building blocks of the industry and say, okay, we we've got to rebuild. We've got to start better than what we had, you know. And that's amazing. And so and that's where um the Broadway Mental Health Foundation, your the 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 constructs of that, that's where all that started for you? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was my experience as well as just, you know, go into an audition. You go into any audition room and mm. what will you see? You will see scared to death actors or just, or just people, scared to death people who are either filled with anxiety or they're body checking in the mirror or, mm. I would overhear conversations at just any audition with people that I don't even know saying, oh, you know, I hadn't eaten for the past three weeks because I had to fit into this costume. And yeah, I've been cleansing for this, you know, upcoming role. Like, it's just such commonplace ideology, you know, right. it's, just, it's so buried in the subconscious. And, and, you know, it's like I said, it's just it's amazing. And it's you're you're such a blessing to this community, because I think a lot of people, even though, you know, they are doing these things, 
I think to have that some that someone is actually acknowledging that this is not good practice or, or just even good for your health in general, I think it this will be that like I can breathe, like someone is standing up for us, right? In the way that I would never be able to do that or anyone else because I'm afraid, right? I could lose, like you said, my career. Like if I stand up and say something about how the mental health of you know performers as a whole, whether it be something with their eating or whatever on the mental health uh, spectrum, is uh, compromised by way of me standing up and saying, oh, you know, this is not right and we need to make that change. So you are beyond a blessing for this community in that way because, like I said, to have the the guts to say that we're not taking this anymore and this is how we're going to go, th- go about making change. And it's not to say that the Broadway community um, is a bad community, but just how the industry has been constructed. As you said, there were these types and mm-hmm. it's either you fit the mold or you don't. I mean, I knew people who were in certain shows, they were cast because they could fit the costume. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't even, and not to say the person wasn't talented, but it was just about, oh, you know what? They can fit the costume. There it is. And so then you're constantly worried about that too, potentially like, what if I'm not in a position to fit the costume? Will I lose my job? I mean, I don't know that that's a part of it, but there is that idea of, oh, is there something I need to do to, you know, beyond, you know, the voice lessons and the acting and all this to actually even be in the room, then I, I'm worried about my body as well. So, I mean, there's all these different things. So it's, like I said, you are just, ama- this, is a, this is an amazing foundation that you're starting or you've started to help actors out here and performers in general, because it's, it's a tough business by itself, (laughs) but then to tackle on everything else, it's like, oh my gosh. So I'm just going to say right now, thank you for that Emerson, for sure. So let's talk about your actual foundation and, you know, the work that is being done with it at this time. Yes. So, um, I I would like to call it a grassroots movement, but right now it is, um, a one blade of grass movement, which is me. Um, um, we need people. And when I say we, it's just one person right now. It's me. Um, before the Broadway Mental Health Foundation can file for tax, tax exempt status, we do need volunteers. We need people on board. We need visibility. So we need people talking about it. We need people that will at least volunteer their time for it, or at least Mm -hmm. help get the word out. Um, because ultimately what the foundation wants to do, it requires a lot of funding. You know, one of our, one of our long-term goals that we have is we want to install actual licensed therapists and counselors on staff inside shows. So inside, you know, your Broadway show or your regional theater, your equity or non-equity, which is pretty hard, you know, if, if you're not unionized. So there's a lot of, you know, funding that needs to be had. There's also a lot of conversations that need to be uh, had around the foundation. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I feel as if this foundation might give people a voice that they feel they might not already have. Right. You know, some people might not feel like they have a seat at the table to talk about mental health in Broadway or in right. the performing arts. And we want to say, you know, it's okay. You know, it's, it's required if you want to be 
an artist or, you know, a creative person to dive deep and really know the inner workings of yourself. You know, that's who artists are. Artists are psychologists. You know, they're detectives. They want to get to the root of things because that's where the beauty and the art lies, you know? Right. And so I feel like mental health and psychology and the arts, they're, they're just one big conglomerate of a thing, you know, it's, and we've got to tap into that. We've got to tap into that as a community, as a collective, you know, show business has really just been a lot of business lately, you know, right? we've got to get the art back in. We've got to get the creativity and the passion. And the way to do that is to unlock people. Artists are coming in. And it's like they don't have space to be who they truly are or to really unleash all of their vulnerable amazingness because they're worried if they're going to even get a show. You know, they're worried if they're going to be good enough in audition or um, in a rehearsal or if they'll get, you know, fired all of a sudden or if a show closes after three weeks and then they're out and have to look for another job. You know, those are stressors. And artists are such vulnerable and sensitive people because that's the game and that's what you want to see on stage you want to see them just be who they truly are and just unleash and when you've got all of that armor and all of that um that gunk surrounding them of all that anxiety and the poor mental health you cannot make meaningful art you just can't right and, I mean, I love how you, you know, um, express that because it is a lot about the business. And I think sometimes that does push people away from the business because say like you're a younger person and you come in, you're straight out of high school, you were the, you know, whatever, and you enjoyed, you know, theater and whatever else um, in your hometown and you come to the city or whatever, and you realize there's more to it than just having that love for the, the, the art. There's so much more to it, but then you're you're creating all of, how do I say this? So once you're in the city or you're wherever you are and you're actually getting into the business side of it, you start creating these barriers, right? And then yeah. sometimes that, those are some of the blocks that will stop that creativity, right? Yes. Um, Broadway so, yeah. has made it clear that the artist is a product, not a person. Right. Yes. Right. You are right. constantly selling yourself. You're, you're branding all the time. You know, you are on. Right. And so I, once again, I just, I love, love, love the idea of you starting this foundation. Now, so beyond bringing in um, this um, therapist and, you know, different counselors in the uh, theaters, like the different, uh, so whether it be a Broadway house or a non-Broadway production, would actors that are in, say, like in New York City that need that um, mental health support, would they be able to um, utilize the foundation, even if they're not in a production at that time. Absolutely. One of our other long-term goals, you know, lots of funding needed, uh, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. long-term future, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the broad, broad picture, but right. I would love the Broadway Mental Health Foundation to be an ongoing fund for artists in need to draw from who don't have access to regular therapy sessions right. or can't afford a therapist or can't, can't afford to see someone or have the means, you know, if you're not in a show right now, or even if you are in a show and you don't have health insurance, you know, I want the foundation to 
really be a resource and a fund for people to go to when they need it. You know, it's all about giving out resources and also giving out educational resources. You know, we want to we want to give funding and give therapists uh, a chance to help out our artists. But we also want to put educational seminars in schools, in performing arts conservatories and colleges and universities. And we want talks. We want lectures and seminars. We want Broadway stars who have dealt with mental illness or eating disorders or any sort of psychological struggle that they've had within their career. We want them talking about it with our young people. We want a conversation to happen around this because the only way the community community learns or grows is by education right. and by having tough conversations. You know, right. it's, it's not about being dark or about being depressing or, you yeah. know, talking about things that we don't want to talk about. It's just about shining a light on what we all could be, which right. is, you know, we could all be a part of an industry that's a little bit better. And I, I do feel like that starts in-house in colleges, as well as um, making it mandatory or required for faculty and staff right. to have mental health training as well to assist, you know, their students who they right. love and care for and want to foster, you know, a love for the arts in. Right. That's what I was going to actually ask. Like, have you heard of any um, of the performing arts schools that have like professional development for their faculty and staff around mental health. Have you heard of anything like that at this time? I have not. Um, mm-hmm. I know at, at my conservatory, uh, they did not. Right. Yeah. You know. Right. Right. For sure. So, several, several instructors, you know, said it just wasn't real. Mental health wasn't real. Wow. So, um, mm-hmm. a big no on that. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting how, you know, being a performer, just, you know, coming from that world, being so vulnerable. And then at the same time, you know, having instructors, you know, say something like that, like, you know, mental health is not real. Like we are dealing with characters that we have to get into the psyche. Right. So there is mental health, you know, it doesn't have to be what most people would think some type of like, you know, you know, major situation, but we all deal with mental health to some capacity. So that is, oh, we definitely need the education for that reason alone. Personal safety too, because um, yes, for example, if you're, if you're an actor who is um, currently in a show and you are dealing with a character who is on the brink or deals mm-hmm. with some really traumatic stuff on stage and you yourself are privately dealing with either similar things or some really dark painful thoughts you know that's that's not good you're going right. to bring you're going to bring that part of you on stage and you're going to blend that with whatever character you're trying to funnel out to others right and you know, that's that's a lack of boundaries on on the part of the character. But healthy artists, they take the pain and, you know, the suffering and all that they've been through and they heal from it. And that right. healing and that, you know, that when you funnel it out on stage and into a character who's dealing with that, those uh, dark things, it's it's that much more powerful. Um right. 
You know, there's there's such a misconception in theater that they say, oh, you know, the more pain I'm in, you know, I make the best art when I am just utterly devastated. And I, I would be the first in line. You know, I, I was that person. Yes, you know, the, the more suffering I'm in, you know, I will make the best art, you know. Right. And I have, you know, I've, I've hit rock bottom in my life. You know, I have, nice. I've had a really painful journey and I've been through some really tough things in my life right? and coming out of it, the other side, um, you know, healing is not linear. I am a hundred percent, you know, healed, but right. looking at it, I truly believe with my whole heart that I am in a place to make really powerful art that if you right. would have asked me that, four years ago, five years ago, six years ago, you know, when I was the it girl winning all these trophies, um, getting the gold, you know, I, I don't think I was in that headspace to right. really tap into that expression. I just wasn't. Right. That's so, and that's so, um, so powerful to hear. Cause I think a lot of people wouldn't be able to um, be that vulnerable and just truthful about their journey. It could just be like, oh, I'm good and, and everything's fine. But it's like, no, I'm still a work in progress. Yeah. But I know that I'm 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 in a better position than I was at that time, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, Emerson, this has been amazing. I am. Uh, this was such a great conversation. I am so excited for the foundation. Please, please, please let everyone know what you need for the foundation to just, you know, manifest into what, you know, what it should be and what your hope is for it at this time. Absolutely. Uh, hi, everyone. We need you. Uh, I love it. We need you. We need you talking about it. Um, we need you to tell your story because we're artists, we're storytellers, we're creatives. And the one thing that we do really well is we tell a good story. And so we need your insights and your journey. We need that to uh, collect data because there's data in stories. And so when we mm -hmm. have enough data and we have enough you know, numbers saying, well, okay, we have a large percentage of artists in our community who are suffering or right. who, you know, deal with this specific disorder or this specific thing. Once we have those numbers and that data, we can then show it to people in positions of power and our voices are amplified. They mean something. Right. So we need people telling their stories and talking about it. We also need visibility in the sense of people sharing, volunteering their time, um, and not a lot of time, but just, you know, just getting the message out there, sharing something on social media, or in the future, we might have a meetup event where we get together and we either come up with plans to go to institutions and start implementing plans. Um, and then once we file for that nonprofit status, we can then go to larger nonprofits and they'll take us under our wing and they will give us budgets and funding in order to host talks and seminars and go to producers and come up with plans. 
uh, in terms of funding for therapists. That is amazing. And so everyone, Emerson needs you more than ever. The Broadway Mental Health Foundation. You can find out more information about the foundation. She has an Instagram uh, page, which is at Mental Health Broadway. Um, the Twitter uh, account is at B as in boy, M as in Mary, H as in Harry, F underscore org. There's a Facebook slash LinkedIn, which is Broadway Mental Health Foundation. The broad and also her website is Broadway. It's oh, I'm sorry, it's Mental Health B Way. So M E N T A L H E A L T H B W A Y dot org. And then you also can reach out to her at connect at mentalhealthbway.org. Emerson Valentina, this has been an amazing, amazing time. I, the first time we talked was awesome and this was even better. And I cannot wait to hear more things about the foundation because I, without a doubt, know that this is beyond needed in the Broadway community and you are a shining light. So Continue to shine and do this amazing work because it is so needed. Thank you, Alicia. I am so grateful. I'm so <laughs> grateful for you, you know, giving me a platform as well yeah. and really hearing me out and hearing my story. Uh, grateful beyond words. And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful and ready to really start talking about this and getting it out there. Uh, because it's it's work that I know I need to do in my life. And, right. um, you know, there, there are just some things that you know that you're supposed mm -hmm. to do in life. Right. And when you know, you know. And this is one of those things for me. And, you know, I'm just honored to have the opportunity to speak about it, you know, just to have a voice. It, it means so much to me, truly. Yeah. And it's going to mean a ton so many other people. So like I said, you have said this several times, but you are a blessing. And so for those that can help, if you're a therapist, if you're a performer, please, please reach out to Emerson. She is an amazing light in this world. So once again, thank you again, Emerson. And thank you all for listening to the Eating Me podcast. We'll see you all again next week. Bye. As always, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode on the Eating Me podcast. I love seeing the ratings and the reviews that you all are sending out. So please continue rating and reviewing the show. If you have not rated or reviewed the show, please take the time to rate and review this show, particularly if you love it. If not, don't worry about it. Also, if you have not subscribed yet, take the time to subscribe to the Eat Me podcast. These are amazing stories, and we want you to be a part of this wonderful community. I love you. Bye.